What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how are you? It's your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, to say that I am honored to have on our guest today is is a bit of an understatement. He is a legend in the NBA announcing world. He's been calling NBA games for 22 years in Toronto and Chicago. He's a Chicagoland Sports Hall of Famer, uh, Illinois Basketball Coaches Association Hall of Famer. Uh, he's in the WGN Radio Walk of Fame. He's the voice of the Bills. Onions, baby onions. Chuck Swirsky, how are you? Good, Jonathan. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing very good. Um, first question to, to all my guests over these last few months. Are you safe? Are you healthy? Is everything okay on that end? Yes, and I credit my wife because she has kept me active. Just a few minutes ago, I watered the plant. So there you go. <laughs> That's, that's a good way to stay active um, for, for those no, of us. Hey, listen, you know what? Although I, I, I'll give you a, a heads up. Uh, you know, she would just beat me so badly in board games like Scrabble, Monopoly. And I'm trying to win. I'm very, very competitive. And so there was a run of about like 100 games where my wife Ann beat me in Uno like 97 times. Oh, wow. So last week. She's up three games to one, a best of seven, and I won three straight. And then she goes, oh, well, it's a best of nine. <laughs> and I went, wait a minute. No. And so I said, okay, fine. It's a best of nine. Then it became a best of 11. <laughs> and, and, I, and I won six straight. So there you go. And I'm, I'm capsulizing things, but that is – and I'm staying on top of what's going on, obviously, with the NBA – and with the 2020 draft, whenever that's going to be held. So that's my world. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about how people who make their full-time living in and around the NBA have been spending their time. And then I, you know, I came across the letter that you wrote essentially to Bulls fans from about a week and a half ago. And it was, I got to say, it was touching. It was a heartfelt letter, talked about your your love of the game. And, you know, you thanked a lot of people. And I, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, you've been so busy for so long. Has the last three months almost been a time to, you know, sit back and reflect on some of that? Like what, what has it been like for you? Well, you know what? That's a great question, Jonathan. Number one, um, I'm, I'm very passionate about everything. I'm very passionate about, you know, whether it's with my family, whether it's about, uh, you know, obviously the bulls and the NBA. And I grew up, in a naval family. My father was a decorated United States Naval officer, career officer. And so I like lists. I like tasks. And so if someone says, okay, here's what you've got to do today. Here's what's in front of you. And what's in front of you is we've got a game. And so I need to do my prep work. 
Now, when I say everyone does prep work, we all have different ways of handling that. And there's no right way or wrong way of doing it. Just like when you cover a Knicks game, everyone has the different you know optics as far as what they're looking for in a game, breaking it down, asking questions, going different directions. I get all that. But as far as the time that I'm given in a non-basketball culture, I've decided to make the most of it in different ways. And that is, you know what? I really have never played Scrabble or Monopoly or Uno in March. And I've never gone for long walks. And you appreciate sunrise and sunsets more. And so I think what's happened here in these strange times of ours in many different directions um, is that it really is a reflective period where when you look in the mirror, there are some things I like about myself. There are some things I need to improve. And I think this is a period of time where if I haven't grown as an individual, Jonathan, then I haven't done a very good job in this in this slot. I, uh, I, I'm listening to these words and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I wish everybody in the country could, uh, you know, we'll have done uh, some of the same as you. Uh, we, we'd probably be in a in a much better spot than we're in. Um, so that's great to hear. Um, you, I think, part of the reason maybe you never had time to do those things is is your career has just, um, you know, it's it's been something of a marvel coming from the Raptors to then you got to the Bulls. Um, actually, two years before the man we're, we're going to talk about today, Tom Thibodeau. Um, I, I'm curious when you. You know, over those first two years that you were in Chicago, um, the team was, you know, right down the middle, mediocre, 41 and 41, both both years. Um, before Tibbs got there, what were those two years like? What was the atmosphere around the, the organization that that predated Tibbs arrival? Well, you know, Jonathan, that that year, 2008, 2009, Rose, of course, the Bulls were very fortunate. They won the lottery. And uh, Rose was the number one pick, as you know. And I mean, from the get go, from his opening night at the United Center against Milwaukee, I will never forget that. I mean, you could tell. And I've seen Derek, obviously, in high school ball at Simeon. You know, I followed him from afar when I was in Toronto. And then when he went that one year at Memphis and went to the you know final four. So I'm looking at a situation where, OK, you've got a second year player, Joakim Noah. And Joe's rookie year had some bumps in the road, uh, but you could tell he had a motor. And I am a huge Joakim Noah fan. I'm just letting you know that right now. That's fair. That That's okay. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I love the guy off the court. I love the guy on the court. And so you could tell those two pieces and other players surrounding them, like a Luol Deng, for example that there was something here. The core group was there. And, you know, the first year, as you mentioned, for two straight years, they went 41 and 41. And, um, you know, it was a it was a club really ready. Um, and I am not criticizing Biddy Del Negro, um, but it was ready for a, a guy like Tibbs to come in in year three and take it and move it up to the next level. 
So you, you know, like anyone who works in the league at that time, you, you knew about Tibbs. Um, in fact, I, I believe I read that your, your favorite game that you've called, uh, as a Bulls announcer was the triple overtime win in, um, the playoff series against Boston when obviously Tibbs was on the, the sidelines for the Celtics. Shout yeah. out to John Simmons, by the way, uh, 35 points in that game. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I came across that, by the way. Do you, do you remember that game yeah. clearly? <laughs> yes, I do. What a, yes, what a, I do. what a night. Um, so you knew about Tibbs, I'm sure. Were you expect? What were you expecting before when when he was uh, set to arrive? Well, let's start with back, Jonathan, a little bit um, because in my time in Toronto, um, I did the first two years on radio and then the last eight on television. So we had a game, and you can probably talk to Tibbs about this, but we had a game in Toronto. And uh, Doc Rivers' father passed away. And uh, it was a Sunday afternoon ball game, I believe. And so I, I knew of Tibbs. I really didn't know him at all. I introduced myself prior to the game, as I always do with coaches, whether they've been in the league for 20 years or two days. And I said, yeah, I'm the radio or rather TV play-by-play announcer for the Toronto Raptors. And so, you know, if you can just give me, you know, a couple minutes of your time, which he did, he was very gracious. And so um, that was the first time that I actually had spoken to Tibbs. So the, the, I guess, you know, breaking the ice, so to speak, was when he got the job um, at the press conference and he remembered, believe it or not, that conversation. Oh, wow. um, Because it was a very tough, tough situation, obviously with the loss of Doc's father and Doc is beloved in Chicago, as you know, was an unbelievable high school player, went to Marquette, just a really, really good man. Forget about coach. We know he's going to be in the hall of fame as a coach. I'm talking about, he's a really good man and Doc and Tibbs are super tight. So, um, you know, and then, you know, little by little, you get to know Tibbs and you find out what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he expects of you. And you go from there. And when he first arrived, you know, it, it's funny. Everybody thinks about the 62 wins, but the Bulls got off to a, a bit of a shaky start that season. They were only nine and eight. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective, if you could think back to that early time, was, was there a, what was the adjustment like for, or was there a big adjustment for the guys on the roster? Did it take time to get everybody on board? Did some guys maybe not get on board? What, what was that early time like? Well, absolutely, because here's the thing with, with Tibbs, and I am a huge Tom Thibodeau fan, big-time fan, as, as a person, as a coach. And again, I can only speak as a broadcaster. I'm not talking for anyone else, so I want to make sure that when your listeners hear this, I can only speak for me. But, you know, like, so he has a way of coaching, and his way is he does not want slippage. And no coach wants slippage, but I mean, Tibbs wants to make sure that if you don't get it right, we're going to do it again and again and again and again, because he values practice. You know, practice in the NBA, Jonathan, as you know, is a rare commodity. Once the game starts, good luck to you on trying to find quality practice time on a consistent basis. These games run into each other. I mean, it's a locomotive. And so training camp is really important 
to instill not only what you're planning on doing, but what you want to carry out. So there's no dichotomy between, Jonathan, game number 12 and game number 31, if you follow me. Sure. So so Tibbs, you know, is is uh, a detailed-oriented guy, which I am, and he really wants the game to be played the correct way. And a lot of players, obviously, you know, this is the first time in their careers because maybe they stayed in college only one year, two years at the most, maybe, you know, sprinkled in with a three-year player. Um, but the truth of the matter is that, you know, Tibbs came in and he said, the, the, the culture's changing here. We're not a 41-win team. We're ready to win, and we're going to win now. And we're going to win, you know, year after year after year. And so that was his mission. So, you know, and, and I think a lot of the success, obviously, as, as it is for any coach, had to do with the players and and their mentality buying in. I, I've been lucky enough to have a few conversations with Taj Gibson, who um, I think was as big a part of the personality uh, of that those early Bulls teams as anyone. But at the same time, we hear people talk about now, you know, the league is always changing. It's only 10 years, but, you know, a lot of people say, hey, the younger guys coming in now are maybe different than when Tibbs first got his, you know, his, his head coaching shot in Chicago. Um, you know, the Carl Anthony Towns, that was a, a bit of a situation. Do you, you know, because you're obviously you're still in the league every day around these guys. Do you think his style can still continue to translate moving forward? Absolutely. You know, here's the thing. You know, everyone changes. You know, Jonathan, you're not the same man today as you were a week ago. And, you know, you evolve, you grow, um, you you learn, you readjust, you fix things. You, you know, I mean, none of us should ever be satisfied with status quo. And I think, you know, the, the Minnesota experience, I think, for Tibbs, with now the gap where hopefully he'll re-enter the market as a head coach. But I think this has been a, a, a time for Tom. And again, I only have exchanged, you know, text here and there with Tibbs. Um, you know, I, I can't say I'm in his inner circle. I'm not a personal friend. During the years in Chicago, we never shared a meal. You know, he, he's very um, uh, inclusive when I, when I say about, you know, his coaching staff, he has a very tight knit staff, coaching staff and the players. And, you know, like uh, I, it, you know, it, one of his rules and I get it, all coaches are different, but he did not want um, the broadcasters at shoot around. For example, I love okay. shoot around because I learned something. I mean, it's not like I'm going to go to shoot around Jonathan and put it on Twitter two minutes after shoot around's <laughs> over. I would never do that. I mean, you know, I you know, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and I certainly have a great deal of respect for every coach in the league and what they're trying to do. And if you see something in shoot arounds, which I have a zillion times, it stays in my heart and not on Twitter. So that's that. Okay, trust is really important you know, to me, and my word is really important. But Tibbs, you know, the, so I would do a daily. Uh, pre-game show with Tibbs, and he was great. He was never rude. He was never standoffish. He was never, um, you know, disrespectful. And so we would do five minutes, and he had his job to do. I had my job to do, and he was really good. And he was really good. I'll tell you where he was magnificent 
he could break down a, the 15th man on a roster as well as a superstar in the NBA. Huh. If you said, hey, tell me about, you know, John Doe, who was just called up from the G League, he could boom, 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 because that's Tibbs. And so, um, you know, and, and I mean, here I am. I'm listening to this. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, <laughs> sure. this, I mean, he was a walking encyclopedia. And so I learned, you know, during his time in Chicago, I learned a great deal about basketball. No question about it. Um, that's encouraging as, you know, I, I haven't said it explicitly, but, uh, as everybody who's listening to this knows, he's, he's the leader in the clubhouse for the Knicks job. And, you know, I hear from a lot of fans who I think have kind of, and, and there's, you know, it's funny now in the media age we live in, when there's a narrative, there's almost a, a counter narrative to, to follow it up almost immediately. Um, and the narrative for Tibbs is that he's this stubborn guy, whether it's about minutes or defensive schemes or how much he plays certain players. And then there's other people that fight against that. Do you think that the original narrative that he earned, that he's kind of this gruff, you know, stubborn, you know, I, I know we talked about Taskmaster, but that's different. That's different than being stubborn. Is that fair to, to say that about him? Well, here's the thing. He, he, um, he is a coach and he feels a certain way about coaching and about handling players and about, you know, the staff. And I think that, you know, I, I don't, the thing is he wants to make players better. I think when it's all said and done, he is very competitive. He's got an unbelievable fire and players have gotten better under Tibbs. Um, you know, I mean, is he perfect? No, but no one's perfect. I mean, I, if you, if you took pop, Bill Jackson, Red Arbach, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, the greatest coaches in the world, you know, the greatest broadcasters in the world, the greatest Fortune 500 CEOs in the world. We all have flaws. And yet the, the question at the end of the day you have to ask, um, do the positive outweigh the minuses? And so if, you know, if you're facing, is Tom Thibodeau a good coach? Yes. Is he a guy that will make your team better? Yes. Um, do the players believe in him? Absolutely. And so I don't think it really determines whether you're a 19-year-old kid or a 10-year veteran. If, if you have the trust factor and you believe in your coach and the coach believes in you and he cares about you as a man and as a player, then I think that's that's when a relationship is formed and bond. And all you have to do is ask Joakim Noah, because I think I think he pushed Joe, and I think they had a really interesting relationship. And at the end of the day, if you were to ask Joakim Noah, um, is Tibbs did Tibbs help you? The answer is yes. If you ask Derek Rose, the answer is yes. If you ask Luol Deng, the answer is yes. If you ask Taj Gibson, the answer is yes. So, I mean, you know, maybe at the time, you're not always not going to be on the same page. But if you know your coach has your back, you're going to bust your tail for him. Um, that's great to hear. And and it again, it backs up, you know, I, I, 
it's the 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 thinking that gets out sometimes it's it's so it's a lot of recency bias because you know you, people remember what you know how Minnesota ended and they they don't think about all the players that you just mentioned and how much he did for them um and there clearly was a lot of trust there uh, on the flip side i think towards the end of his time in chicago and you were had a front row seat for this there was some distrust between maybe tibbs and the organization um, and, you know, speaking for a second about the Knicks, I mean, over the last 20 years, we may uh, be leading the league in in distrust behind the scenes between different factions and, and things. So that's something I know I'm always on the lookout for. I'm wondering, you know, do you think Tibbs learned from that experience? I mean, I'm sure he did, because as you say, we always learn. But what do you think he took from how it ended in Chicago moving forward? Well, uh, I'm going to that's a two part question. Number one, you know, as a broadcaster, I kind of stay away from that stuff because really it's none of my business. Number one, what the relationship is, um, you know, I'm smart enough not to go there because at the end of the day, it really doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, and so, you know, I would show up, I do my pregame interview Maybe I would see him after the game. Maybe not. Um, you know, my, my experience with coach was always positive because I knew my role. And I think because of that, and he knew I knew my role, that um, we had a very solid professional relationship. Like I said, there was no personal interaction. It's not like he would have an off night and say, hey, Chuck, listen, we're going to dinner. You want to come with us? That never happened. It wasn't like, Hey, Chuck, you know what? Um, what are you doing after shoot around? Let's grab a sandwich. That did not happen. Okay. And I, I accepted that. It was hard at first because I like to get next to the head coach so I can be kind of like a support system and, um, you know, and, and have that ability to communicate on the air what they're trying to get across because I do think that team broadcasters have an opportunity to get the message out. That's just my opinion. But if a coach doesn't want to do that, I respect that as well. And that's why there was never any issues because I get it. He's the head coach. I'm the broadcaster. So what happened with um, at the end of Tibbs run, um, you know, sooner or later, every run is over. It happens. Tibbs moved on. The Bulls moved on. And, you know, I mean, he resurfaced with Minnesota. And now the question is, um, after the Minnesota and, you know, will he get, whether it's, you know, this year, next year, whatever, because I'm sure there's no question in my mind, he wants to be a head coach again. And, um, and so if that happens, it'll be great because I think he was born to coach. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. He, I mean, I love the game and I do love the game. He loves the game. And if there is a stronger word than love, he would have that with the game of basketball. Chuck, uh, this has been great. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I do have to ask you one more question, though, before I get you out of here, because I have a few Nick fans that will be very upset if I don't. 
You had a former Nick on the Bulls this past year by the name of Luke Cornett, who has, um, yes. yes, who has some very vociferous fans still to this day in New York. Um, he was a personal favorite of mine. Can you, for maybe 30 seconds, say how wonderful Luke Cornett is and maybe sing his praises before you go? It would just warm uh, my heart. <laughs> I, I, I love Luke. Um, what a, what a wonderful person, first and foremost. And, you know, I still think there is an upside to his game. I really do. I agree. And I think this, you know, this game is really tailor-made for him. He's a wing seven-footer who can shoot. And, you know what, he's a great guy in the locker room, a wonderful person just to be around. And, um, you know, and I, listen, I think he's got a, uh, still the runway is, is still alive and well for Luke Cornett in the NBA. I hope you're right. Like I said, I we have a it's a small group of us here in New York, but we are we are big fans. Um, I am a huge fan of yours. Um, this was really special for me. I, I can't thank you enough for giving a few minutes to both myself and to Nick fans. Um, I'm I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say bring out the salami and cheese. I hope you don't mind me stealing your line to end us here. No, 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 it's all good. And by the way, speaking of Nick fans, I am a huge fan, obviously, of the broadcasters both on TV and radio. Uh, specifically with the play-by-play people with Ed and Mike. And, uh, you know, I wish I wish the Knicks well. I really, you know, Scott Perry um, was on the staff at the University of Michigan when I was calling Yes, mid-90s, right? And I've known, yeah, yep. And I've, I've known Scott for a very, very long time. I know Kim and Chelsea and whatnot, and they are great, great people. And I am pulling for them, and I am pulling – for you know, cities like New York and Chicago to get you know to get it going, where we can have those Nick Bulls rivalries as we once did. I think it would be great. Can we please? I mean, really, yeah. who who doesn't want to see that? I know you do. I want. I want to. It would be fantastic. Um. So again, Chuck, thank you so much. Um. I look forward to uh, the NBA restarting purely so we could hear voices like yours um, on the air again, because it's, you know, that's what, that's where the magic comes from. You know, it, it adds that special something to the game. So um, all the best. And again, I can't thank you enough for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Okay, Jonathan, be well. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, bye. Bye.